This episode is brought to you by The Secret Garden, starring Sierra Boggess. Now playing through March 26th at the Amundsen Theater in Los Angeles. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to our very special Lucy Simon celebration. This is episode four, The Making of Dr. Zhivago. We are thrilled to welcome Zhivago lyricists Michael Corey and Amy Powers, book writer Michael Weller, arranger Eric Stern, and host Lorraine Alterman-Boyle, former Rolling Stone writer and editor, as well as a producer on the musical Dr. Zhivago. We will also hear Sierra Bagas and Ramin Karamlu performing the gorgeous song on the edge of time. Let's begin. The one thing I wanted to start out with um, is Zhivago itself, which is an, was an enormous task to do. Um, and I think the impetus, Lucy said, came from her love of the book and the movie. So could you tell us how you got involved with Lucy? I had spoken to Lucy some years before about working on Little House on the Prairie with her. But I was tied up on some projects and I, I couldn't make myself available. So uh, time went by and then she got back in touch and said, no, it wasn't her. I think it was Des got in touch and said, guess what? Um, we're doing Dr. Zhivago as a musical. Uh, and I was sort of overwhelmed. It was one of my mother's favorite books. And it was, uh, you know, I remember the movie but my memory of the movie was that it was a very, a very handsome man watching a very beautiful girl with lots <laughs> of snow. And I couldn't think what the story would be. So I read the book and then I was even more overwhelmed by the challenge. And I went to meet her and said, look, I don't see that this material as it stands can be the, the, the stuff of a musical, you know. How, what is it going to be like that I have to add stuff? You know, this is this, I'm, I'm dealing with one of the great writers in the world, and yet the story's not quite clicking. What are the rules about that? You know, how, how do I add on to greatness like that? And she said, let's work it out as we go along. So that, with that reassurance, I said, okay, fine. Let's, you know, I'll, I'll have a go. Good. And then I'll pick up with how, then they spoke to me, and I met with Lucy and Michael and Des, and uh, I thought it was insane to try and do the Russian Revolution in a musical. But on the other hand, the insane things are the ones that appeal to me, and that when you don't know the solution, then it brings out the most creativity. And I think at the first meeting, Michael said he had a concept that he could start out with the gunshot where an unidentified woman shoots another man and then work back from that. I thought that was a great concept. Lucy and I started to work and it wasn't quite clicking. Um, and Lucy said, I heard about this, another lyricist, Amy Powers. Um, why don't you do co-lyrics? At the same time, I was doing Grey Gardens and The Grapes of Wrath. And I said, yes, thank God. <laughs> Um, and when Amy came on, it felt totally complete. And then Eric, I knew, uh, from Far From Heaven and Grey Gardens and, uh, dying always to work with Eric. So then the, t and Des, uh, was, uh, our team leader and, and Lucy was amazing. Uh, really kept us all together through thick and thin. I came into this, uh, with, you know, a combination of pop lyricist and theater lyricist uh, uh, background. And when I heard that I could collaborate with Michael Corey, I was all over it. And what I was bringing to this, I was gonna say table, but it's really puzzle. What I was bringing to the puzzle was the, um, the more female 
sensibility mm-hmm. in terms of lyrics and the more um, passionate love story side of it. Uh, so, cause I'm a sucker for that. And so I jumped in and I remember that uh, as an audition, they had me write a lyric. And, uh, and so I did, and that lyric was when the music played. Mm-hmm. And Lucy immediately heard melodies for that. And so that was the defining moment for us all uh, to work as a, as a team together. And um, I've never experienced anyone like Lucy in terms of her um, unending passion for the material um, and devotion to the, the project and seeing it through. Mm-hmm. And then I got to play with these great guys, uh, which, which was really fun. Lucy didn't have the music at that point. You just did the lyric and then she did the music or? One of the beautiful things about Lucy is that she could work either way. So many composers are very rigid. They either have their melodies laid out and you have to fill in the blanks or they wait for you and then they create mm-hmm. melodies around your lyrics. But with Lucy, it worked both ways. It's true. And, we're, and it's actually worked a third way, which is that the group would sit around and say, what is this moment about? We would come up with an intriguing hook and Lucy would say, let me take the first stab at it. And so she would use the hook or the title of the song. And from that the structure would evolve. She would, she would, take a, a lyric, go to music, and then kick it back to lyrics. And then Michael and I would sit there on opposite coasts most of the time, Michael, Corey, and I, and bat back and forth, sometimes a dozen times in a day, different versions of what we thought would work lyrically, and then represent them to Lucy, and we'd go back and forth and back and forth like mm-hmm. that. Right, and then by that time, she had already changed <laughs> the music. So or sometimes we would, we would say, what about if it went all the way up here yes. at the end. And she'd say, oh yeah, well, I can work that in. And Eric, tell us tell us where you came in to this, to this it, immense project. Uh, I got to meet Lucy through a friend who was working with her, I believe on, on uh, uh, Little House in the Prairie at the time she was developing that. And uh, I started working with her when she very f- started working on Zhvago. And um, what intrigued me about Lucy and what ultimately uh, binded me to her was the fact that uh, her sense of melody and theatricalism was in a certain way almost always tied into the human voice. And her inspiration, her her melodic sense, her dramatic sense came from her need to sing. Uh, She'd been singing her whole life. Uh, Like almost everybody in this business, I wanted to be a writer. Uh, I was a semi-decent lyricist, but oddly enough, not a very good composer. And I'm a very trained musician, and I, I have skill in that sense, in that in that uh, area. But I met Lucy, and I realized that she had something that I could never even come close to. And that was the, I don't know if, where that gift comes from, but it was the gift to express in the human voice what she felt as a human being. And I was able to work with what she gave me uh, and so grateful to have it because I couldn't ever have done that myself. Uh, so I actually found uh, a creative partner that that sustained me and kept me, that sort of filled in what I couldn't possibly do. Uh, and it, it was like that for over 20 years. Um, we just kept docking out versions of it. And she'd come up with me with ideas and things sort of scratched on paper and we'd talk about what you want. And the thing about Lucy is, although not always as skilled on the minutia of music writing, she always knew what she wanted. And if I came back at her with something, she said, no, that's not really it. And she would show me. So it wasn't as if she was malleable. On the other hand, I mean, like all creative artists, she had a very, she has a very strong point of view. But working with her, I was able to help her realize that. And it was, like I said, it was a symbiotic relationship. It is a symbiotic relationship, it's wonderful. So, so in the process, Michael Weller, when you come in with the storyline, which I don't know how you did it, <laughs> having read the book a long time ago, how does this work with the three of them? How, how did you, you start writing, knocking out the script and then bringing it back and seeing what music there is? Or 
it was never that formal somehow you know we would always we would meet a lot you know and another thing is that lucy among other things i think has has uh the heart of a a natural restaurateur <laughs> and uh, kind of someone who wants to feed you oh and take yeah care of you. she's she has this sort of ma sort of maternal sort of very side. maternal and she loved <laughs> gathering people <laughs> Yeah, so it would be as much, you know, you'd get, you'd go for the food, and then everybody would sort of start talking. And what, I mean, for me, what the critical challenge was, is that that Zhivago really is a stand-in for Pasternak, mm -hmm. and it's always tricky when an author writes themselves into a book, because they think lots of wonderful things, but they don't do much. So you have to provide all that when you're writing the stories so people have something to wonder about as an action. How is this going to come out? And that's what I felt was the, the hardest thing, was to, to make what I understood to be, in every possible way you can understand, a passive responder to a historical moment and turn them into an active seeker of something we could watch and and cheer on and do it without we you know t without desecrating his 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 sensibility in some way i had to stay as true as i could to what i thought was was um was move prompting him and his life you know it's very interesting i got to know quite a bit about him, how he actually functioned in the world and i i i started to feel that the book is both masterful and chaotic at the same time and one, one of the things that would be very interesting to do was to try to see through the chaos to what was a consistent story of his life unfolding, because he really did have an affair. And it was really with somebody who was extremely difficult to capture. And it really was that she was beautiful because of how he saw her, not so much what she was, but she was extremely strong. And she was extremely dedicated and courageous. And that became the kind of tools I had to work with. So when we'd meet, they would say, oh, I was thinking of a song like this. And I I think, oh, yeah, that would be, I see how one could get there. And I see how one could make, uh, for example, to be concrete, you know, there's a, there's, you have an affair that's developing over two and a half hours. It can't just be that they jump into bed because they're both married. So you have to really, you know, sort of tease and expend and pull the taffy out as, as long as you can. And that, but at the same time, you have to sh show them in love. So we had to come up with feints and tricks, like having them discover a letter that someone had written to the person they were in love with and sing it to each other. So they're really singing a letter that wasn't the two of them. But we know the the audience knows it's really the two of them talking to each other. So it's things like that where we kind of legalize an Ill, illicit <laughs> love affair in front of the audience's yeah. face. As I recall, what came first before any scenes was an outline. And there was a lot of talk about that outline, a lot of hammering out, talking through the story over and over where Michael would improvise ideas like coming up with the letter in one meeting. Um, but what was, I think, by the time all of this outlining and discussing of the story and boiling it down like in a crucible occurred, I think we all knew what was important, uh, which was that it was the story of, it was a love story, but it was the story of the importance of art in our lives and how an artist can change societies more than a Putin. Um, and, our, you know, I always think it's great if the politics of the world we live in can come through in another story, but in a stealthy way, it's not underlined in red, you come to realize this is about us right here now, our lives. And we always knew we were working towards that end of Zhivago coming back from the dead to inspire us and inspire um, a repressed society with his poetry. And we had feelings like that in our country. Uh, I also remember that through this outline, 
Amy and I would come up with wonderful lyrics that maybe were a bit too expository at times. And Michael and Lucy would always push us towards the emotional and the melodic. And the simpler hooks worked best for us. Like Michael came up with an idea of who is she? Such a simple idea or watch the moon. Very simple ideas, but the more simple you get, the more cl the closer you can get to the heart and the less expository you have to be. And so we would say, let's deal with the emotion. Let Lucy move us with that. And let's let Michael take care of the exposition. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I listen to stuff now and I'm crying, but that, that song is just so magnificent. It still brings tears to my eyes. And I think that's what you, you accomplished that was a song that, yeah, that was a song that Lucy originated. Um, and uh, she just felt it. And it didn't have a lyric at all or even a hook. And it moved around the show. And, and one time it was in the beginning, one time it was in the middle, once it was a duet, and it finally found its proper place. And Amy, do you remember we were all in Lucy's living room killing ourselves right to find title. the right hook? And maybe it was Michael... The right title, and I think Michael suggested the idea of time, and, and I, somehow we got okay the the edge of time, or and it it evolved, and then we would run off into one of the bedrooms and yeah. write some lyrics, and I'd eat <laughs> and drink that fantastic <laughs> and you eat yeah. uh, cappuccino. So the it, it was just like that. It was okay. Let's let's all put our heads together and our hearts together and figure out what needs to be said in this moment. I remember for uh, On the Edge of Time, there must have been a hundred different um, uh, possible title ideas. And um, and Des Mackinac right. was there too in that room. And he kept saying, no, not that one, no, not that one. And we fully wrote three different versions of it in different spots of the show. I wrote one, you wrote another, and we fought for them, we believed in them, but. That was the way the team worked. Everyone had to agree or we couldn't proceed. Here are Sierra Bagas and Ramin Karamlu singing On the Edge of Time. Hi, Lucy. Um, just want to say how much I love you and what a gift you have given music theater and just our hearts and souls with two of my favorite shows, The Secret Garden and Dr. Zhivago, which I get to sing with this beautiful lady here, my favorite leading lady, mm. which we got to do Secret Garden together. And now we got to sing from Dr. Zhivago finally. Yeah, that's right. Finally. All thanks to you. We love you. We adore you. And uh, you are a gift. Mm. Amen. Amen. Did you say Amen. <laughs> Amen.
by the way, it is worth bringing uh, Des into this at this point, because I think I had very little experience with musical theater. I'd started in college writing musicals, and I, I did the, the, the film version of, of Hair, but the real nitty gritty of working on a musical, the economy of it, what works musically and what doesn't, that was just a kind of tabula rasa for me. And Des had very definite ideas about that. And I found, and he's also a playwright. So I found his instinct for storytelling really uh, uh, instructive. I learned a lot from the experience. And I learned a lot about using music in a musical from Michael and Amy and Lucy. So for me, it was not, it was school as much as anything. Des was cinematic in his approach to theater, and he was about transitions, keeping the energy of the story going by cutting off the big applause moments and keeping, making the transition as exciting to the audience as a scene. Uh, and I think sometimes that was a source of conflict because Lucy liked to eb end everything big, um, and Des wanted to keep it going. Um, but we we found a happy medium, and uh, through the workshop procedure, Des was a wonderfully inspiring. Amy and Lucy and I were sitting in the back of the Black Box Theater at La Jolla, and Des would come rushing up to us before the show was over and say, you've got to change this, this, and that, and the other, and you've got to leave the theater and do it now, <laughs> because the actors have to have their rewrites by equity rules before they go home. I can't rehearse it tomorrow if they don't get it tonight. So off we ran and wrote something new uh, every night. And Lucy was game for that. Lucy was always willing to re-examine Yeah, everything. so that's a, a really important thing. She wasn't one of those, um, she is not one of those people who's precious about their work. You can, th there are many composers and we don't have to name them, who just think that um, their first thing is the right thing, or um, that they're the ones who have all should have all the power in the in the situation, and uh, Lucy was always really fluid about that, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that so much about her, because it, in in the midst of, despite her having such. Um, uh, passion and um you know impulses in certain directions she was always open to having her mind changed um and how often does that happen in life not very often not even in theater but in life in general people like to stick to their guns it's it's what defines a good collaboration actually that willingness to be able to keep there's an old saying that musicals aren't written they're rewritten <laughs> Uh, you never really uh, finish it. Some somebody says you're done, and that's what you have. Um, quick story, which you can well, yeah, money later. ran out. That's yeah, it, right. Quick story, which you you can easily cut out. We were preparing to go to Sydney with a version of of Zhivago that we ended up opening there, and the people in Sydney asked me what format their material should be, and I said, "All right, the script should be single paged." Uh, uh, in a uh, three-hole in, in a notebook, and the music should be double-sided in three-ring notebooks. We got to Sydney, and they had laminated and spiral-bound every <laughs> script and every and the music. And I said, you know, this is all going to be on a trash heap, not not tomorrow, today, because musicals constantly. I always say musicals are probably the responsible for all the rainforest disappearing. We use so yes. much paper. Uh, and the fact that they presented so proudly presented this, here's your musical. I went, no, that's not our musical, not yet. So yeah, that process is something you learn to embrace. And I think a lot of young writers also don't understand the fact that, what, you mean I have to redo that or throw it out? How do you throw out your children? You guys are masters at that. Two or three times a day we would do yes. that. You know, I think we all were in love with the show by the time we did our first black box uh, production at uh, La Jolla. And uh, we began to have problems when it went to a proscenium stage mm -hmm. a year later at La Jolla, and it just played differently. We also had disagreements of opening numbers. So with, together with Lucy, we must have written about 30. I have a file this big of cut songs, uh, many more that are 
than we wrote for the show. And, uh, but that's it. As, as Eric says, it was rewritten. And we always had that outline, that structure that Michael had evolved. And we layered upon And it. even after Broadway, we rewrote and reevaluated. Yeah. We just finished a new version. Well, the, the proscenium stage at La Jolla, uh, not our favorite production. And then we retooled the whole thing for Australia. And we loved it in Australia. It really worked. And even in a humongous cavern of the theater, it really worked. Um, and then we rewrote it some more. We might have overwritten it, rewritten it for Broadway. And I think with the pressure, we suddenly, we sort of got like six months notice you're going to be on Broadway. A theater has opened up. And, uh, but subsequent to Broadway, we wrote it some more. And Broadway doesn't define this show. It's been done all over the world. Lucy's music reaches to the heart in all of these different languages. And, you know, Amy and I and Michael let our words be translated into other languages um, because it, the music right. is universal and however, however it changes, I'm happy that we originated those moments together with Lucy, even if the words have changed and they've been, it's been in Korea, it's been in, um, Japan, it's been all over Germany, Scandinavia, yeah. Germany, it's been all over Europe, all yeah. the Baltic states that Russia ever trampled over totally embraced it to their hearts. It's been a huge success over there. Um, and it went back to Australia a second time. Um, and I know that um, this work is going to outlive us all. And it, it's had different directors too, right? Yeah, different directors. People do it. People have done humongous productions. Right, people have done humongous productions that have dwarfed Broadway, and they've done tiny postage stamp size productions. But... It works in, in for every culture slightly differently. Um, but the, the basic power of that story and of um, the, the power of art, poetry, or music, really, which is poetry in a musical, it's abstract, uh, speaks to different ages, different cultures, yes, different and, countries. And also, in a way, uh, di and, and different formats. So some of them have been more like opera. Right. And yeah. some of them have been more like traditional musical theater. And some of them have been, uh, or will be, more like experimental musical theater. And that that's Lucy. That's right. And the message uh, obviously keeps refreshing its relevance, as we've seen these past two months. <laughs> Clearly. Um, it's stunning. It's, it's always going to be unfortunate. Yeah, I was going to say, it's time to bring, time for a revival here now. I just wondering if uh, we should ever make an outtakes uh, of all our 30 cut songs. <laughs> Why not? Well, we're following um, the footsteps of Jess, right? I think they I, had different they versions. Different I mean, there's all that music that Lucy wrote that no one ever heard. I, before, before we, yeah. I could read you the Eric, titles. I wanted it's to insane. just ask you something. Some of the music was very influenced by Russian music, stuff that Lucy wrote. And I think Lucy doesn't read music. Is that true? She read uh, Lucy reads music. Uh, yeah, she does read music. She, she she's she's always given me. Yeah, she's always written down uh, what she wants, it, even yeah. in a basic. Writes out her, her of course, music, right. I get lead sheets from her. Um, uh, you know, but the thing about those lead sheets is we look through them together. Mm -hmm. I play what she's written. She's no, I really want them. It's an evolving process. But she's of course she's musically literate. The thing about Lucy that I think you were sort of getting at. Is that I mean, even the only other score I really know of hers at all is, is Secret Garden. But listening to her stuff, I think she also has quite an ear for folk music. And whether that became English English folk music, Russian folk music, I think there's something you guys you guys know what I'm talking yeah. about. I've seen you nod. There's something about the folk element of Lucy's writing that presents itself, uh, and in this case, in Russian folk music. I, of course, being a smartass, I tried to give it a little bit more of a contemporary Soviet feel, you know, to, to, to play with it a little bit, because that's one of my loves, is, is the uh, 20th century Russian composers. But the Russian folk mm -hmm. music, the peasant element, the, the folk element, the heart element, uh, that's that's Lucy's impulse. Well, that's always how it began, yeah. isn't it, Eric? Yes. Wasn't she a yes. sister yeah. act? She is. Of Simon's Simon's sisters. Right. Yeah. And they sang folk she, music, and they yeah. were quite well known. The, the Simon so, sisters. 
I believe actually though, all three of them did. Yeah, right. Exactly. But I'm just saying that she has a, a sense of how uh, how folk music mm-hmm. works in terms of storytelling. And it's always one of her. She one really of her gets advice. excited about folk but music. But she also knew about Prokofiev and Tchaikovsky and the whole spect Kabalevsky. Exactly. Rachmaninoff. Spectrum of, of Russian music. And I think that um, if you really take those scores by a musicologist you'd see how literate they are but the yeah folk, absolutely the folk thing was and really I, a, you know, as i said i think we were co-conspirators the, the folk thing was really big for her i remember she was like a um a, a hungry child researching what we could do for mm-hmm. do you remember the song uh women and little children uh it mm-hmm. opens the second act and yeah. she I, I just remember her um very eagerly diving into Russian folk music to make sure that she was being, um, that she was honoring uh, what what would have been at the time and then just putting her own spin on it. So she, you know, she really wanted to be both historically correct and mm-hmm. emotionally correct. The final song that we all collaborated on for the show was post-Broadway, was a song called Home Where the Lilacs Grow. Right which is a folk song um and it takes place when um Zhivago is being a doctor on the world war one front uh and the nurses are homesick for uh home dealing with all these wounded and dying soldiers every single day they think of the home front and then some good news comes um and that replaced um a song that a different song that we had in Australia, and then a song that we were forced to use on Broadway, which was the mm-hmm. theme song from the movie, which I loathed. <laughs> yes, I'll yeah. just be blunt about it. We I all loathed agree. having it in our show we because all it disrupted Lucy's vision, and it didn't fit with Lucy's vision. It didn't fit. It was a stupid song, and I didn't want it in there. And the producers, I'm sorry, no, I did insisted <laughs> that this would be the panacea to everything. I think it's, it wrecked the It's a the beautiful show. song for somewhere else. No, we know. Yeah, for the movie. <laughs> but what this, what was so beautiful about this show is that we didn't go to the movie. We went back to the book, and yeah. Michael invented a new inv- a dramatic structure, and the score matched. And the minute you stuck that stupid song in, it became, oh, they're adapting the movie. And it was never that. Exactly, Michael. You couldn't have said it better. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> well, I'm nah. still pissed about it. Yeah, well, we all are. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and it's gone, by the way, in the latest it, version. It's, it's gone. Oh, yeah, it's gone, great. gone, gone. Well, I gave the book to my my uh, father-in-law to read. Now, he's just a, a you know, kind of a, a lovely doctor, small-town doctor. And he doesn't Perfect. read stuff like that. And he was, his comment when I came to visit, he'd read about 50 pages. And he said, are you going to have all of these characters <laughs> in, in this story? <laughs> I said, don't worry, Byron, we'll work it out. He said, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> there is a tradition in Russian literature of embracing a huge So you're ready to tackle yeah. War and Peace, the musical? Is that it? <laughs> uh, someone did it. Someone did it, and someone did it smartly. They took oh, right, a the tiny one, section Natasha of the poem. The yeah, comment, right yeah. comment. Exactly. Right, right. right. Yeah. yeah, and again, I tell my students uh, that I tell my students that I'm I'm teaching uh, that that, uh, that boy that was a syllogism. <laughs> I I tell my kids that if if I were given the assignment to write Lee Miz as a musical, I would have chosen fifty pages of it to musicalize, not the whole thing, because then you're stuck sort of, you know, giving little lip service to moments instead of really true. delving in. Michael Weller found a way to um, include everything that was important and parse away, uh, boil down the stuff that wasn't to just put it to the side. And then create some, create yes, some Im- important that was, things. That was the spine of the whole thing. Yeah, That was the spine. And you know, a collaboration means that everybody sort of has to give up a bit of themselves to make, to join together and make something that none of you would have created on your own. And um, that wouldn't have been possible if the music hadn't unified all those voices. I, I knew that there had been previous versions of it. And I, I knew that Arthur wrote some of them. And I was very curious to know what they were like, you know, after the fact. I didn't, obviously didn't want to see them before, but 
when when I was all done, I went. I I thought to myself. I mean, Arthur's a very smart guy, and I thought, like, how did he solve this stuff? <clears throat> well, I think what they did, from what I understand, was that they spent a lot more time on the backstory. Um, they spent a lot of time on Lara being um, abused by Komarovsky. Oh, 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 oh. Um, oh. And we dealt with that uh, after the fact. We went back from the gunshot right, where she right. tries to shoot Komarovsky and dealt with it in that wonderful song that Amy basically covered the whole backstory in that one lyric. Yeah, yeah. I tweaked it a little, but basically that was her totally grasping the whole backstory and it took care of it. Um, and I think they spent half of Act One on that backstory, and then everything else that followed was rushed. You're right. I never saw any of the other versions, so I have no idea. Lucy's memory of all those songs is encyclopedic. She, I mean, she literally, she'll turn to me and say, remember those measures from that? And I honestly don't remember, but she has every song in her head. <laughs> I'm sorry, Michael, well, what were you going to say? No, I was, I was remembering that that outline i've forgotten that i wrote that outline because i remember being uh, you know i said i'd think about it and i'd do an outline of my idea and then i'd give it to lucy and see if they liked it but i remember i was skiing and my kids who were little at the time and very rambunctious and constantly fighting because they're two boys they were like five and seven and I was waiting for them to put on their, their ski stuff so we could go out in the slopes. And they just wouldn't. I, I, and I was, you know, yelling at them and trying to snap and do it, being not a very good father. And I just finally said to them, you know, you guys, the hell with you. Go outside and play. I don't care. And they, and as I said that, that's the moment I thought, Jesus, a gunshot. That's how it starts. And I sat down. This was without thinking. And I wrote the outline in about an hour. And by then the kids were going, when are we going to ski? When are we going to ski? I said, okay, now we can go skiing. That's right. It was really not an outline. Right. It was really a treatment. Yeah, kind of, And yeah. by the way, it's in the Lincoln Center Library for the Performing Arts. I put all my papers in there. And wow. I, I think people have already used it as research because I've gotten calls. Wow. Oh, interesting. Wow. But anyway, I have the uh, recording here, and I was just going to mention the songs. Maybe we could recall how they happened. Two Worlds was like the third or fourth opening number that we came up with. Oh, I have, I have it too. Um, the first one was something, yeah, the first one was something about Christmas. Yes. And Lucy wrote a delightful Christmas song. It was a three, I remember that, it was Right, but we decided we didn't want to do about Christmas and we needed to really set the political situation. Uh, so we wrote something oh, under yes. the Russian sky and that was replaced with Two Worlds. And then Two Worlds was, uh, became an epic 15-minute long number. Uh, who is she? That was, um, that was Michael's idea, the title. After the gunshot. He said, yeah. no, you just... And then Lucy wrote the music. Uh, and then we filled in the lyrics to that music. Uh, but she came up with that whole questioning tone of, that Yuri had. He's supposed to be marrying Tanya, and at the same time, just as he's getting married, he's being totally attracted to this woman who just shot someone. And the is music she? is and the music is deliciously uh, takes uh, takes inspiration from Russia's penchant for Orientalism in its in its uh, melodies. It's really and you know what else that song has a lot of dialogue in it too. Yep. So she wrote this incredible underscoring to keep the, the uh, excitement and tension under going under the, uh, all the dialogue. Um, it's a godsend was a, a, a big production number, but uh, it had a few surprises too. And uh, I don't remember, that came fairly early on. When the music played, that was uh, Amy's. Watch the Moon was another idea that Michael had. And I think we wrote that in the bedroom. <laughs> I, I beg your pardon? <laughs> <laughs> While they were out there having cappuccino. Ixnay yeah, really. on the Edroom Bay. Right. Then there were a, a million right. A million World War One songs, Forward March for the Tsar. But yeah. then Lucy wanted to do that whole sort of um cantata for the soldiers oh, in a foxhole. That was, that was fun. waiting to go to die. 
that was that's fun. Amazing. And really, that's an incredible work of music. Talk about that, Eric. How did that evolve? Uh, I was thinking about it this morning, knowing we were going to meet, and I'm a little hazy about it, but Lucy decided that she wanted something that was had a uh, strong polyphonic quality, had different parts that fit on top of each other, each one adding on as the soldiers added on. And we sort of discussed what each sort of snippet would be like uh, and and how it would grow. But basically, I just took that direction and sort of put it together. Uh, it was a, a very much like a mosaic uh, and it, it sort of, I needed to do it, but, uh, the pieces were hers. So I basically just welded it and, and made it fit together. Yeah. And it really gave us the whole spectrum of the feeling of those soldiers. So yep. some praying to God, some wishing they were elsewhere, uh, some plotting to take their neighbor's gun if they died, uh, someone night. And then suddenly they get the call to go out, uh, to no man's land and you don't know who gets killed and who doesn't. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a really exciting moment. I've always liked that. A uh, wonderful first act closing in this house, which is preceded by a little lullaby for the child. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how that evolved, Amy? I don't think that was originally part the, of it. The child being I think in, had in an there? I think that the son being had to sing, yes. I think the two of you Well, there was a that. lot of debate. The house there, don't There's a lot of debate, right, about... Right. Um, whether you could have a child speak directly to his own home and whether that was going to be emotionally right. real or or look like a some kind of set up gimmicky thing but and we played around with a lot of different versions of the lyric for that too but you know if you're a child may i think about this in relation to Oh, all, all the all the Ukrainians who just had had were ripped from their homes, right? Um, you know, if you say to a child who's six years old, oh yeah, uh, we might never be coming back here, so say goodbye to your house. You know what? What? Right at yeah. this point, Shivago had married into a, a family of white Russians of royalty, and the Bolsheviks had taken over at this point. They realized for their lives they had to flee. That was the end of Act One. It starts with this very childlike melody that Lucy came up with. Then it goes from family member to family member saying goodbye to their homes. Finally, to the whole the town, the entire community, of society that's Uprooting. been um, deep, that's, uh, and sneaking off to a train. And then it joins with the Bolshevik anthem and the two. Uh, that's counterpoint. Right. Two songs dovetail. It's masterful and you know uh, something we never talked to well i i mentioned it a number of times but i still insist i'd like to see this is that the P perfect world was an unusual song for lucy uh, that's what i was going to go yes. back to get we skipped it because i and i think we missed an opportunity with that song because i felt it, the orchestration the, the the background of it should be found objects it should not just be instruments it should be metal scraping on metal and clanking and something very yeah, like those weird harry parch instruments those homemade instruments right Any, anything like yeah but but i mean even more you know like brutalistic noises so it would be something that was so startling to an audience that like you never hear in a musical then suddenly but, an, go ahead so, i'm sorry go ahead, but to give lucy her due just because i, I didn't miss the song when they cut it for broadway and we have we put stupidly it, cut it yes, and we have put it back. back but again uh, lucy's instinct where her melodies tend to soar and have great leaps and stuff this was all about little nitty half steps and and it, it literally um de-romanticized anything it was almost not music anyway it was anti-music right. so you had just like little flies and gnats it, it dehumanized it and i thought that was a very smart impulse well she was very influenced by that whole constructivist thing at that point mm -hmm. um she was always um keyed into something in russian music but i think but you know my point is that if we push that a little bit more and make yep. it more aggressive. We, we, we still can, Michael. That's well, the, it ain't over that, yet. I, I'll encourage you to do that. Because I think, you know, no, it's a remarkable moment. And it, it was not presented as a remarkable moment. It was presented as too much of another song. Although mm. 
you could see its originality. But I, I think there was something to it that could have been really mentioned, no, you know, noticed, notable. Yeah. Right. Then we used to open Act Two with a comedy number that made us all laugh. Uh, but it was a one-joke song. Um, and we came up with something else in Australia, and Lucy really went back to that folk theme. Uh, women and little children. But she was always... She loved the... What was it called? The Ukrainian Women's Choir? It's the Bulgarian. The Bulgarian, the Bulgarian Women's Choir. Yeah, right. women's oh, choir. We yeah. listened to a lot of Bulgarian <laughs> Women's Choir music. And she came up with something really robust and earthy uh, about how the women have to take over the society because all the men are dead or off to war. And it worked great to reopen the second yeah, act. It's great. What's next? And, Wouldn't this uh, be amazing to do this in the Ukraine? Uh, we have a wonderful song for, uh, for, for Pasha, who became... Uh, the leader of the rebels and, uh, became Strelnikov and became bloodthirsty uh, and po possibly motivated by the loss of his wife. Um, and he and that's a very brutal and uh, right. Lucy wanted that song to end and Des wanted it to end with Strelnikov putting a bullet into the soldier of uh, into the brain of a soldier. Des loved killing people um, on stage. I'm not uh, sure which. Yeah, that was a problem. Yes, he that did. Was a that and fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, audiences weren't so keen on seeing so much gore. Well, I think in the version that we've now licensed, uh, by the way, it's been done all over the world, and now it's going to be done in the United States. Really? Yeah, Concord, uh, is Concord has uh, picked up the rights, and now it will be available for productions right. all over this right. country as well. Um, we changed the ending and um, made it the musical ending and then the gunshot, which is fine. Um, and then we get into all these fantastic ballads that Lucy just excels at. Uh, Love Finds You, It Comes As No Surprise, On the Edge of Time, just these amazing love songs, which is kind of what everyone's been waiting for. And they're just overwhelming one after another. And we did still sprinkle in, in the second act, uh, you know, a, a, a number of uh, high tension moments, yes. like Ashes and Tears. Uh, yes. That is a Chicago on the I mean, Run we song. We came up with that right. at the table. Because you can't do ballad after right. ballad after ballad after ballad. Mm -mm. Audiences no. won't stand for it. But it happens to have this remarkable grouping of ballads in act two. Um, you know, the, there's kind of a rule in Broadway that you could have one ballad <laughs> show. Um, but in a Lucy show, you have more than one. And they're all equally beautiful. And, 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 they, and they, have different, they have different feels also. They're not, they're not the same song. Right. I mean, they have different... And they're all yeah. written for character. They, they directly speak to that character exactly. that's singing. Yeah. I mean, the women's duet, it comes as no surprise, is not a ballad, but um, it's a remarkable duet for two points of women both internalizing their thoughts about loving the same man yeah, yeah. about loving the same and each man. and finding that that's their bond which is very 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 what do you call it subversive mm. it's subversive but well, i think so, yeah. what you say about her writing oh, it's a kind of surrender song. yeah that that each each character has their own voice through the music and the lyrics, um, a lot of shows, since I see a lot of shows, it all sounds the same. You know, it's they're not differentiating the characters. And this and Secret Garden are extraordinary. They're authorial. They sound like the mm -hmm. author singing, exactly. right? Thanks. Yeah. And these all come from character and from the heart and from... Um, putting yourself in that um, character's and, shoes. And also, because moment. there were a number of us, we we all, and we all had to approve, you sort of had to fight for what you had created. And mm -hmm. that may not be the case in every musical, right? You really had to defend why right. this was working, why this made sense for this character at this time, every time. That's why collaboration is important. That's what theater is all about. 
This has been extraordinary. Um, I can't wait to show it to Lucy. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to episode four of the special Lucy Simon celebration. Please stay tuned for the final episode coming up next. Tremendous thanks to our guests, Michael Corey, Amy Powers, Michael Weller, and Eric Stern. Huge gratitude to Sierra Bagas and Ramin Karamlu for singing On the Edge of Time, accompanied by Joseph Thalkin, with narration by me, Lucy Boyle. This episode is produced by Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and Kimberly Garris for the Broadway Podcast Network. Executive producers are Lorraine Boyle and Liz Armstrong. Associate producer is Henny Konisberg. This series is edited by Alan Seals and Dory Berenstein. Thank you to Victoria Traub, Sean Flavin, and Concord Music for their tremendous support and partnership on this very special project. Find out more about Lucy Simon, how to support the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and more ways to listen to this podcast by visiting bpn.fm slash Simon. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.